Welcome to the Mount Zion Wesleyan Church Podcast. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and inspires you to step into the life God has for you. For more information about our church, visit us online at mountzionwesleyan.com. As you are seated, let's uh, pray together. Father, you are holy. And Father, regardless of the circumstance or condition we find ourselves in this morning, regardless if we are standing on a mountaintop in victory and in celebration, or if we find ourselves in a valley riddled with guilt or shame or grief, We find our hope and we find our peace in the reality of what we just proclaimed, and that is holy. You are holy. So because of that, our confidence is found in you and in you alone. And God, we ask that you receive glory this day. And God, may we position ourselves in a placement in which transformation can take root and take and happen this day. For that to take place, it is your power and it is our cooperation. And we know that you are willing and that you are able. So God, would you give us ears to hear and eyes to see those things that you would have us know and do. And God, would you give us the courage of heart to believe that it can happen in us through you today. And we pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and all God's people say, amen. Well, hey, it is so good to see you. We are so thrilled that everyone is joining us online, and we love you, and we are so thankful that you are gathering with us this morning. So we are continuing our series in John. I believe it is week 27. We're going to be in John 19 and John 20 today. But this is what I want to take place. We are going to read a little bit of a medley of scriptures to begin with, and we are kind of rounding that corner, and we are trying to create a little bit of closure around this series. And my prayer for you, uh, as I have been preparing this week, is that you will be able to take hold of the handles that will be created today through the narrative of scripture, and that it will lead to freedom. It will you will say yes to the invitation to step into the life that God has for you. So with that said, you can turn to John's gospel, chapter 19 through 40, or verse 41, but this is what I want you to do. I'm giving you permission. Now, some of you who are like, I can't do it, I understand, but I'm just going to give you permission to listen, okay? Because I want you to cling to every word that we read in God's holy word today. And I'm going to begin in Romans chapter 5, and I'm going to read verses 12 through 17. And then I'm going to jump into John's gospel, verse 19, and we're going to get into chapter 20. And then we're going to return to Romans, okay? So it'll all make sense, but when I'm done reading, there will probably be more questions than answers, but all answers should be answered by the end of today's sermon. We understand? All right. I feel like I made that way more complicated than it needed to be. 
Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 12, and I'm going to be reading. uh, This morning, I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation. Verse 12, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Now Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ, who was yet to come. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through the other man, Jesus Christ. John chapter 19, verse 41. Now in the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb. And it was never used before. So because it was the day of preparation for the Jewish Passover, and since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and she found Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. And she said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciple, they started out for the tomb. Verse 11 of John's Gospel, chapter 20. So Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she stopped, and she stooped, and she looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied. And I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave, and she saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying, Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? You see, she thought that he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go get him. Mary, Jesus said. And she turned to him, and she cried out, Rabona, which in Hebrew means teacher. And Jesus said, don't cling to me, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go find my brother and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. And then she gave them his message. Now back to Romans chapter 5, verse 16, in light of this revelation. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation. 
But God's free gift leads to our being made right with God. Even though we are guilty of many sins, for the sin of this one man, Adam caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it. And they will live in triumph over sin and death through this man, Jesus Christ. It is in John's Gospel, chapter 1, that we began. And Scripture tells us in John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, that in the beginning there was the Word, that the Word, it already existed. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. And God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him, the Word. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in darkness, and darkness can never extinguish it. And then in verse 9, we see the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not recognize him. John is the only of the four Gospels that start at the beginning of time. Matthew, Mark, Luke, they all start when Jesus came to the earth as an infant. But John is different. John starts at the beginning of time, and what is revealed through the narrative and the gospel of John is that the world was not created in the generic sense by God. That the world was created through the Word. And the Word was Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ was the one that created the world. And what we can glean from that and why this is important is because if this is true and it is true that means that we can preach from John about creation and if that is true we can preach about the resurrection from Genesis Meaning that you can start in John and you can read backward to Genesis or you can begin in Genesis and you can read forward into John. Paul would certainly agree with this. In Colossians chapter 1 verse 14, he says, "...who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins." Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and in supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we see and the things that we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all of creation 
together. As you listen this morning, and as we lean into that that God wants us to take hold of, I think that it is important for us to think through the entirety of the Bible through the lens of three gardens. You see, in the beginning, there was a garden. And in the middle, in the Gospel of John, there is another garden. And then at the end of time, there is yet another garden. In Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created. On the first day, God created light. And then on the second day, there was separation, and God created the sky, and then there was even more separation. And on the third day, there was the land, and there was the sea, there was the plants, and there was the trees. On the fourth day, God created the sun and the moon and the stars. On the fifth day, he created the creatures that live by the sea and in the sea and that fly. And then on the sixth day, do you know what he created? He created y'all. He created humans. And not only did he create the human, humanity, but Scripture tells us that we were created. Now catch this, don't miss it. We were created in the image of God. It says so three times in two verses that humanity was created in the image of God. Not only did he create us in his image, but he breathed into us. And when he breathed into us, humanity became fully alive. And this is what Scripture says, that when humanity came alive, God said, teleos, which means perfect. Perfect, he said. God said about humanity, it is perfect. Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 7, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put man whom he had formed. And there's two things that immediately came to the surface that struck me about this. The first is this, that you and I, we were created in the image of God. Humanity bears the image of God, meaning that when there are things that are in us that are not of God, we are actually less human because God created humanity to be and to bear that of righteousness and holiness. The second thing that, that struck me is that we were made for life, that we were actually created to live lives apart from guilt, from shame, from condemnation, 
Any times, in other words, you are experiencing that guilt, shame, or the lie that I am not worthy to be used for the purpose and the plans and the promises of God, that is never from God. That is always from the enemy. So in the beginning, God bent down and he took from the dirt, from the soil of that in which he created. And he formed humanity. And he gave humanity the name Adam, which means human or humanity. But then God, he bent down even lower and he breathed the breath of life into the nostrils of that in which he had formed. And suddenly, it experienced life. Life that was always meant to be. And then he created, from the man's rib, woman. And oh, and although they are very, very different, they complement one another. For God himself said, it is not good for man to be alone, so I will create for him a helper, someone who will complement one another. They will walk beside each other. They will be better together than they could possibly ever be apart from one another. And then scripture says that God created a garden. And you have to understand that in this garden, there was unity and there was harmony. There was joy and there was peace. There was belonging. In the garden, that in which had been created humanity walked side by side with his creator. God. Scripture says that in the coolness of the day that they would walk side by side and they would have long undulating conversations about life and experience and questions, there was an intimacy. There was a vulnerability. It was a place in which humanity was welcomed, fully known, fully embraced, fully accepted. There was four rivers that fed the garden, and the garden was full of trees and vegetation. And Scripture says that in the middle of the garden, God placed a tree. And he told humanity, you can eat of any vegetation, any tree in the entire garden. But that tree that is in the middle, that is reserved for only me. I and I alone 
Every other tree, bon appetit. But that tree is off limits. And like a child that you try to withhold a singular toy from, that's the very toy that they got to have. They want it. They desire it. Why is he keeping me from it? And playing off of this, the enemy entered into the serpent, much like we saw into Judas. And the serpent, playing off this desire, approached humanity and said, If you want to go to the next level, if you want to move beyond just knowing God and you want to be like God, well, then you will eat of the tree in the middle. And they did. And the moment they did, sin entered the narrative of humanity. And make no mistake about it. This is your problem, and this is my problem. So God returned to the garden after humanity had disobeyed, and they ate of that in which they were instructed not to. And God, he came in the cool of the day, desiring to walk beside that in which he had created, but he couldn't find it. So he cried out, Adam, which means humanity. <laughs> and from a distance, behind a bush, he heard the words of that in which he had created say, I heard your voice, so I hid, because I am naked and I am ashamed. And God must have thought, why are you hiding from my voice? Since my first breath into you, you longed for my voice. You welcomed my voice. You desired my voice. You found comfort and significance and identity and wait for it, life in my voice. But now you hide from my voice. What have you done? Have you done the thing that I told you not to do? And Adam said, It was the woman. She's not the blessing that you told me she was. And in the bush nearby, he found woman. And he asked, did you do the thing I told you not to do? And she said it was the serpent. So starting with the serpent and making his way to humanity, God cursed the serpent. He did not curse humanity, but he only punished humanity. 
And their punishment was that he removed them from the garden. And the tree, he placed cherubim beside them were which are angel-like creatures and they were yielding swords that were made of flame and this is what you have to hear me say most everything that we pursue in life the joys the hopes the dreams the desires, that in which we can articulate and that in which we have yet to develop a grammar for. We are all trying to make our way back to the garden. But we can't get to the garden because the garden has been blocked. It is being guarded And whenever we get glimpses of the garden, we can't take hold of it. We can't sustain it. In other words, every time we feed those that are hungry, every time we clothe those that are naked, every time we visit the prisoner, Every time we offer words of encouragement, our acceptance, our embrace, our love, what we are trying to do is we are trying to recapture that that was lost in the garden. But what we realize is that we can't hold it. It's fleeting. And yet, we long for it. We desire it. We need it. This is why throughout the Old Testament, the prophets, they speak about it. This is why Lot said that I have taken root. I have claimed the land that gives me privilege. It gives me view of the land, the landscape that looks like what? The garden of the Lord. This is why Isaiah says in chapter 51 verse 3. The Lord will comfort Israel again and have pity on her ruins. Her desert will blossom like what? Eden. Her barren wilderness like the garden of the Lord. And gladness will be found there. Songs of thanksgiving will fill the air. Ezekiel 31 verse 9 says, Because I made this tree so beautiful and I gave it such magnificent foliage, it was the envy of all other trees in Eden, which was the garden of God. The prophet's are highlighting and revealing that our desires, our longing, that in which we have misplaced our significance in only to time and time again let us down. In reality, it was the pursuit of that that was lost in the garden. John is the only gospel To tell us that Jesus was arrested in the garden. He took his disciples across the Kildron Valley where there was a garden. And in this garden, Jesus was betrayed. This garden represented violence 
and struggle and conflict. John is the only gospel to tell us that the crucifixion and the resurrection both happened in a garden. John's story of the passion is a garden of conflict and struggle and strife and grief and betrayal leading to a garden of resurrection and life. John is the only gospel to tell us that when Jesus was crucified, he was crucified in the middle. John is the only gospel to tell us that while he was being crucified, Jesus began to form a new community, a new family. He looked at his mother and said, Mom, John, this is now your mother, and this is now your son. Only John tells us that when Jesus died, he cried his last breath. It is finished. Telios, it is perfect. That is not the words of defeat. That is the words of victory rising even in the midst of death. So, knowing all of what we know now, Mary, she finds herself at the tomb. And as she approaches it, she notices that the stone has been rolled away. She peers into the tomb only to find that it is empty. So she runs to the disciples and she says, I just have come from the tomb. Our Lord, he is not there. And John and Peter, they take off in a mad dash for the tomb. They peek inside, and then they retreat. But when Mary returns, she looks in. She stoops down, and there she sees two angels, one sitting at the feet where Christ's body once was and the other one sitting at the head. She notes that the linens were neatly folded. Most of you guys hadn't folded your linens since the Song of Solomon series. And the angels, they ask Mary, why are you crying, dear? And she's got to be thinking, well, it's because I know something that you don't know. But the angels, they know something that Mary doesn't know. So don't miss the language of the word of God. Mary backs out of the door of the tomb and she runs into a man. And she says, I thought it was the gardener. And the gardener, which it was, Jesus had returned back to the garden just like he did in Genesis. So Jesus says, 
Why are you crying? When Jesus calls her name, she recognizes him. And she yells out, teacher. (laughs) The disciples, they're hiding in a room. And y'all, I don't know how he did it. But he walked through the door without opening it. And when he saw them, don't miss it. He stoops down. And he breathes on them. Just like he did in the garden. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. He wanted them to come alive. That's what he wants for you. There's an invitation extended to you and extended to me this morning to step into life. What kind of life? The life that God has for us. And this life only comes through Jesus Christ. This is why John chapter 5 says, And I assure you that the time is coming. Indeed, it is here. Notice the language. It's not coming. It's here. It's available. You just have to apply it, accept it, believe it. It's here now. When the dead will hear my voice. The voice of the Son of God and those who listen, well, they will come alive. So if you feel that you are dead to your transgressions or your sin or your addictions or your behaviors, what Jesus is saying, there's an invitation to a life, a life that I have for you, apart from whatever Holds you in bondage. This is why John chapter 10 verse 10 says. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come so that you may have life. Life in the full. John chapter 6 verse 51. I am the living bread that came from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. The bread is my flesh which I will give Life to the world. First John chapter 5 says, Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you so that you may believe in the name of Jesus Christ. So that you may have life and have everlasting or eternal life. 
Paul would certainly agree with this. In Ephesians chapter 4, he says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitudes of your mind, and to put on the new self, created to be like the likeness in true righteousness and holiness. So in the mind of John... The problem with the world is not that it is shrouded by sin. The problem with the world is that it is old and it is decaying and it's only getting older. But Jesus came so that we can have new life, a new creation. In other words, you cannot sit and say in the midst of your sorrow and pain and conflict and agony, you cannot sit in your sin or in your addiction or in your toxic behaviors and excuse those things by saying, wait for it, I am only human. You were created in the image of God. You were created to live lives of holiness and righteousness. When you sin, you are less human. You will never be more human than that when you are in heaven because the shell of the man will be left and in heaven you will be fully human. But this isn't just for some day. This is for today. We have to stop giving ourselves excuses for dabbling in things that are below us. You're better than that. And Scripture says, cooperate. That Jesus is coming to form a new creation. And that starts right now. A new humanity and you're part of it. So this brings a few things to my attention into our attention. If this is true, and it is true, this means that everything we do, your work, it has a purpose. That is so far beyond and more significant than drawing a paycheck. You are more than witnesses of an empty tomb. You are the children of it. And each and every one of us has been called to be gardeners in that that God has called us to steward. Our time, our resources, our finances, our tongue, it is all seeds that are to be planted in the garden for the kingdom of God's purposes, plans, and promises. So you're not just clocking in from nine to five and doing meaningless tasks. 
No, every time you walk into work or every time you walk into school or every time you walk on that ball field, you are there to be a gardener, to sow and to be intentional about it. It also reminded me that God is forming a new community. John, this is your mother, Mary, this is your son. The problem is that was not his mother, and he was not her son. But at the foot of the cross, God was creating a new family, a new community, and you are a part of that. You are my brother, and you are my sister, and we are a part of a family that is so much bigger and more significant than that of the nuclear. And if this is true, what this means is that when you walk through a valley, I walk beside you. When you weep, I am a shoulder. And embrace yourself. The older I get, the more I cry. So not only will I be a shoulder, but I will probably also be someone who weeps with you. And when you celebrate on that mountain, I am your cheerleader. And when your world falls apart, I am the knock on that door that says, I know you're there. Let me in. This means that there is a seat around my table. There is always an empty seat. And there is always an invitation. This means that you are seen. This means that you are heard. This means that you are loved. This means that you are valued. And this means when needed, I will call you out on your crap. Because somebody needs to. We are a part of something bigger than our agendas and our preferences and our wants and our insecurities because it was not good for man to be alone. We are called to a shared life. With that said, this weekend has been a beautiful narrative of what it means to be fully human for me. Yesterday, I had the joy of celebrating marriage with a couple that I love very, very much. And it was, it was that, it was a time of celebration. 
And immediately following the wedding celebration, I received a phone call from a family that was in conflict. And instead of rushing to their reception, I spent time walking beside them and encouraging them and loving them and helping delineate next steps, how our church, how you and I can best walk beside them in the weeks and months ahead. And then I woke up this morning and I received a text message from a mom whose 16-year-old son was involved in a horrific car accident on Tuesday. And she just said, would you pray? We need your prayers. And I said, I'll do better than that. I will bring our family, your family, and we will pray. So would you bow your heads? Father God, you are the great physician. Father, we know what the doctors say. But we also know what your word says. So God, in this moment, we pray for Caleb. We pray that his brain and the pressure that is causing so much of the problems, that it will decrease. Father, we pray for wisdom for the doctors. Father, we pray for supernatural strength for Shana and for David and for each of Caleb's siblings. God, there's often times that I recognize that I myself don't have the words to pray. And I am reminded that your word says that you are fluent in the groaning of my heart and of my soul. So God, that in which I have yet to develop a grammar for, would you do that too? God, we understand that our circumstances and our conditions, that it does not dictate the level of our joy because our joy is found in you and you alone. But Father, you know that there is no pain like kid pain. So would you touch the sweet family in a way that only you can? We believe that you are able. We know that you are. And God, we pray that in the end, it's going to be okay. And we pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people say. There's one more thing. I am also reminded that you and I, we can't fail. You can't mess this up. You see, John, while he was on the island, exiled of Patmos, he stood on the shore. And God gave him another vision of another garden. 
Maybe it was a garden of that that is to come. Or maybe it is the garden of the present. Revelation speaks of this garden. So regardless of your circumstance or your condition, regardless of the mountain or the valley, regardless of where you find yourself, no matter what, no matter when, no matter who, find comfort in these words. And then I saw a new heaven, and I saw a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. Notice the language of Genesis. I, the first earth, had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, and it was coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is among his people, and he will dwell with them. He's come back to the garden to walk shoulder to shoulder in the coolness of the day. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them in their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Don't miss this. And he said, tell us. It is finished. It is perfect. It is done. Echoing the words of the word in Genesis and the word upon the cross. It is perfect. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. What Jesus is saying what he wants me to remind you of this morning is that he is the beginning and the end. So as we gather around the table of God this morning, if you do not have your communion elements, would you raise your hand, our ushers, because we're a big family. I want everybody to participate today. So raise your hand. Don't be shy. All right, no guilt, no shame, no condemnation. All right, there you go. And we're going to wait. I told you as I get older, I cry more. I don't know why. It's all right, though. So Jesus gathered around the table. And he looked at all of his creation, all of his sons and his daughters. He may have been looking into the eyes of the twelve, but he was looking at you. He saw you. 
he said, when you take this bread, eat of it in remembrance of my body that will be sacrificed on your behalf. So eat. And he took the basin of wine and he poured it into the cup. And he said, every time you drink around this table, be reminded of the community, be reminded of the unity, be reminded of the hope that you have in me, be reminded that you are seen, that you are known, that you are loved, and that you are invited. Be reminded that there is a life, a life that is apart from guilt, from shame, apart from condemnation. But that only comes through me. So as you drink the cup this morning, may you do so in remembrance of the sacrifice and the spilled blood of Christ Jesus on your behalf. You may drink. So as we close this morning, may I say a prayer of blessing over you? So may the Creator, the Word, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, may He shine His face upon you. May He bless your coming and your going. May you see the opportunities in the fertile soil that is before you. May you see each step as an opportunity to plant a seed in which God will take hold and he will nurture it. You have to protect it, but he will grow it. And may you sow those seeds in peace and in joy and in confidence that what God takes hold of, no man or nothing can separate. So may you, as sons and daughters, bear the image of God, righteous and holy, and may you be that example to a world that is desperately seeking to find its way back to the garden. Church, you are loved. You are valued. You are seen. You are welcomed. And all God's people say, amen. Church, you are loved and you are dismissed. Thanks for listening to the Mount Zion Wesleyan Church podcast. We hope this message has inspired you to take a next step in your walk with Jesus. For more messages or to watch our full worship gathering on demand, visit us online at mountzionwesleyan.com.